This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 23rd of February 2016. A podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anyone working with or investigating big data. My name is Jon and here's my co-host Dave. Hi Dave. Hello Jon. So Dave, what have you been doing the last couple of weeks? Well, by now you will see the glorious new logo that all of our pages and various resources are sorting, uh, which uh, has taken a, a lot longer than I expected, uh, but I'm really now quite happy with. It gives us gives us our own unique identity out there on the interwebs. Well, I, I have to add a little thing that, I mean, I, I kind of liked the previous logo because, well, I made it, or at least I just did a cut and paste and built it in five minutes or something, but it wasn't that bad. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> um, so yes, ho- hopefully, give us give us feedback. If you like the logo, if you don't like the logo, if you prefer John's coupled together version, uh, maybe we can sneak it in now and again uh, as a special bit of content. I would appreciate that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, other things that I've been up to, so I spent some time with uh, one of our telco customers in, uh, in Spain, and uh, an, uh, a global SI have their analytics team uh, for the whole of the EMEA region, uh, also based in that uh, same area. So spent a couple of days with them and uh, really, really useful to see some of the things that they're building uh, on top of Hadoop for a whole uh, wide range of customers. Um, this particular group was primarily focused around uh, some of the work they're doing with financial services, um, but a lot of the, the use cases are applicable everywhere. So, yeah, really, really quite interesting. Um, and uh, so as this episode goes live, I'll be at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. So meeting, meeting up with lots of telco customers generally and, uh, you know, really planning out some of, the, uh, some of the next sort of phases of what they're going to try and achieve. And also um, dealing with a lot of our US uh, customers who are also going to be at NWC. So finding out a bit more about uh, in depth about what they're doing over there. How are you seeing the adoption of Hadoop happening within the telco world? Is it uh, still growing, stagnating? Uh, it's growing pretty, um, pretty aggressively, in my opinion. I think, you know, the two, the two areas I think that uh, that Hadoop is really expanding very quickly is financial services and telco. Um, I think telco probably has more data than financial services, but financial services has more money. So <laughs> I think, I think um, FSI is probably growing quicker, but I think telco is, is still, you know, one of the, um, one of the major areas, you know, primarily because if you look at the telco business over the last, you know, five years or so, um, you know, the traditional telcos have, have their, their business is eroding away beneath them, you know, with the, the way that competition is evolving, there's sort of very much a race to the bottom in terms of price, and they need to find something else that they can actually compete around. So, you know, getting to that point where they're using data to make decisions, um, becoming data-driven, trying to secure the better customers, you know, the customers that pay the higher tariffs and don't cause lots of problems and all that sort of thing. You know, the people that uh, that, that don't make those intelligent choices and don't, keep those customers uh, are going to be left with uh, with you know what you might call bad customers customers that uh, use a lot of resources and, and maybe hang around on on lower tariff fees so yeah like a like a lot of uh, a lot of the industries they're going through a, a big shake-up and I think big data's uh, an area where they can actually uh, push ahead okay uh, without giving away any kitchen secrets uh, are all of these uh, parties doing Hadoop in the same way same kind of use case same kind of approach or do you see each of them having a unique take a unique view on vision or what they want to do 
Um, I think they're broadly they're broadly all going through this this drive to become data driven organizations. But I think you're right. They are some of them them are approaching it differently. Some of them are going for the sort of um, the renovate or cost cutting approach first. So they're doing things like deploying uh, active archive, you know, exporting data from their enterprise data warehouses that hasn't been used um, regularly for the last you know, six plus months or whatever, and putting that into a Hadoop environment just to delay upgrade costs on their EDW and also free up space so they can um, you know, they can increase performance. And those savings are often then ploughed back into the big data program. Um, and others, others are perhaps uh, more comfortable in their financial position and they're sort of going straight in for the um, predictive analytics, looking at... Um, you know, focusing on on customer metrics first and that sort of thing. So, you know, those are the those are kind of the two main areas, and those are probably the two splits that I see as to where people get started. Mm, interesting. And well, going ahead a bit of uh, for the main topic for today, any NiFi in the HDF uh, in there? Yeah, yeah. There's there's definitely some there's definitely some strong interest. Um, I would say probably fifty somewhere between fifty and eighty percent of the people I talk to are already have now started looking at NiFi quite seriously as to where it might fit into their their overall ecosystem um, I think the the example I talked about a couple of podcasts ago where uh, one organization is actually looking to develop templates for for NiFi templates centrally and then distribute them out to the individual region is probably one of the one of the cleverest examples I've seen so far I really like that sort of uh, you know, you, the documentation and the implementation is the same thing. Develop it centrally and then roll it out to each region. Interesting. What about you? What have you been up to in the last couple of weeks? Ah, well, the, the usual customer visits and all that fun thing to do. Apart from that, I've mostly been working on the Spark Masterclass. I talked about the last uh, episode already. I was finishing it up mm-hmm. and we should be uh, actually delivering the first one uh, one week from the time this podcast goes live so we really hope that uh, people like what we uh, have in store for them and uh, sort of t- give a bit of a taster for the audience what's it what's it looking like what are the sort of the major topics that you've been looking at through the masterclass well we've been debating on going uh, from pure newbie explaining the whole low end or going to the other extreme of going pure data science and uh, machine learning and as you would expect, we kind of landed in the middle a bit, but <laughs> the emphasis is going to be on data science. We really want to look at a couple of the most used uh, machine learning data patterns in there and how you can use those. We're going to cover simple uh, transformation logic as well a bit because you have to introduce the concept of RDD and all that stuff. But that's definitely not going to be the, the, the highlight of the course. The machine learning is the thing that should make it shine. Nice, nice, and I think that's 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 uh, from my opinion that's a good idea because I think that's the piece that really shows the power of Spark. That's the piece that really you know makes people's eyes light up with some of the some of the concepts and things that they can do. I'm also kind of hoping that uh, when the people leave the, the masterclass, they stop thinking of Spark as the thing that does everything, but have more of an idea of what it's good good for and what they shouldn't use it for. Yep. Yeah, it's still a bit of a, an issue when you meet customers. Uh, they heard Spark, Spark in the minute thing, so whatever I need, Spark must be it. And well, sometimes it just isn't. Yeah. Well, if the only tool you've got is a hammer, everything else looks like a nail, right? 
Uh, yeah, well, it used to be MapReduce was the, the thing for everything. Now it's Spark. Uh, any guess what the next one will be? Uh, good question. It's got to be NiFi, come on. <laughs> no, <laughs> NiFi for everything. Do all your processing, all your ingest, all your reporting. Yeah, no, no. I hope not anyway. I hope NiFi, one of the things I like about NiFi is it, it's kind of got a quite a clearly defined um, specialist area. And uh, so I, I'm kind of hoping it, it sort of uh, stays in that and it really builds on that uh, rather than kind of diversifying over a whole bunch of random areas. But we'll see. Time will tell. Uh, I'll hope it with you, but you can't stop the hype train. This is true. No, There's no derailing that hype train. It's moving far too fast. Okay, I think that's uh, enough of us two uh, talking about our lives. Let's uh, end this section unless you have something to add. Nope, nothing else from me. So let's go to music and we get back. We will have our second interview with Joe Witt. See you then. Welcome back. So now we have the second of our interviews with Joe Witt, uh, one of the big brains behind Apache NiFi. Um, hopefully you've already heard our, our previous interview, which was back in episode six. This is the second half where Joe goes into a bit more depth around NiFi. Um, so if you want to understand a bit more about what NiFi does under the covers and how it can be used, this is the interview to you, for you. So uh, stay tuned, and uh, here's Joe Witt. So welcome back, Joe Witt. Thank you. Um, so Joe Witt has uh, is come here again, thankfully, to talk to us a little bit more about NiFi and how awesome it is. Welcome back, Joe. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So um, obviously, uh, in our podcast uh, four weeks ago, we talked a little bit about the you know, high-level introduction of NiFi, where it fits into the overall picture and that sort of thing. So we'd like to go into uh, a little bit more depth um, for our audience to get a bit more of a better feel of NiFi. Okay. So first of all, can you tell us about the like the main components of NiFi, what the architecture is, how it hangs together? Yeah, so the, the main idea um, or the, the sort of main building block for NiFi is the Java Virtual Machine. Mm-hmm. Um, so NiFi is running on the JVM, uh, and within the system, uh, sort of the most obvious thing that people see uh, is the, the UI, right? So they come in through their web browser, and they are able to get a visualization of the flow that they can interact with. It. Um, so behind that is a web server, um, also running in that JVM. Uh, and that web server is uh, connected to kind of the engine that is NiFi. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's a, a sort of job scheduler, if you will. Um, job's probably not the right word. It's really more of a uh, task executor. Mm-hmm. Um, managing how we deal with all the threading and um, you know, sort of the structure of the flow. What you can visualize on the screen, uh, obviously it's turning that into uh, kind of a runtime implementation of it. The big pieces behind that, though, are the repositories in terms of how we um, make the data persistent and reliable and uh, how we make the flow itself run uh, with you know, high efficiency and performance. Uh, and so those are uh, a flow file repository, which is where metadata about the objects in the flow live. Uh, and that's uh, saved through a write-ahead log, purpose-built for our problem yep. uh, to allow us to go you know, really quickly. Um, we also have a content repository, um, and I'm going to describe this in a very specific way, and then I'll uh, art- 
articulate it a little better after, uh, which is basically an immutable versioned content store uh, so that as data comes into a flow, it's rarely linear. It's usually a complex graph of decision logic and transformation and um, you know, delivery that occurs. As that data runs through the flow, uh, we're able to send multiple copies of it to various places simultaneously without ever actually having to copy the original data. So we're just sending new references. Um, and uh, that has some really nice performance benefits, obviously. Uh, takes advantage of things like caching and Linux and other operating systems, yep. which is very powerful. Um, we also have uh, a, um, uh, an additional repository called the Provenance Repository, which is where we store all the events about what we've done and learned as we go through the flow. So it's not the data itself, uh, it's information about the data, when we received it, where we sent it, um, whenever we dropped it, right? So we, it, think about it as a complete chain of custody for what we do to the data. Um, and so those are the main kind of building blocks of what, what's kind of behind the covers of NIFI. Yeah, excellent. Um, so, you know, what, what's sort of the sort of hardware requirements? What hardware should people be looking at if they're looking at NIFI? Or what sort of cloud infrastructure should people be looking at? Yeah, so um, as I had mentioned uh, in our previous discussion, uh, our focus is providing uh, uh, NIFI in environments that scale up as well as uh, down, yeah. right? Uh, and in fact, it was born basically on a laptop. Um, and so it runs quite nicely on systems like that. It actually runs really well on something like a Raspberry Pi. It makes it fun to uh, to learn more about it, right? Like a and like a hobbyist at home kind of way, which is really neat. Yep. Um, that obviously bears well for a lot of interesting use cases that are emerging. Um, but it also runs just as well on, on frankly, very high performance uh, on-prem type hardware that you might buy. Yep. Um, you can get a lot of advantage out of uh, the variety of disks that are available in the system, so you can get really high throughput. Yep. Um, our goal in general is to make it so the nicks are hurting, right? We want, <laughs> we want the bottleneck to be there. Yeah. Um, and you can really achieve that by getting kind of linear benefit that you get out of a lot of disks. Um, the, uh, the other side of that then is scale out. So we can also scale out to multiple uh, systems as well. Our idea of clustering, right, is, is not to compete with uh, the traditional concept of big data's notion of clustering. We're not talking about hundreds or thousands of nodes in our case. Yep. Um, if you need hundreds or thousands of nodes to get data to your hundreds or thousands of node cluster, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> and so what we want to provide is a solution that takes uh, a handful of nodes um, and helps drive that data to the systems to do the sort of deeper uh, analysis and um, processing. So if, the, um, if, if, the, if you've got the clusters, um, you can also have multiple NiFi clusters talking to each other, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can have the concept of, you know, further out an aggregation cluster feeding into, you know, a main primary ingest cluster that's maybe, you know, in your central data center close to your primary data lake or something like that. Yeah, so the scenario that we designed this, it, in NIFI it's called site-to-site. -site. It's an actual protocol that we built specifically so that we could take advantage of how um, clustering works in NIFI and so that we could offer back pressure as kind of like a native thing, yep. uh, which turns out in distributed systems... Uh, that are not in this nice, clean, sort of heterogeneous cluster is a really big deal. Yeah. Um, and so site-to-site uh, -site was created so that we could support really nicely the inter-data center and intra-data center uh, distribution cases. Yeah. 
Um, because the reality is there's various points and gateways in an enterprise where you do data flow, right? Where you have these gateways connecting systems and acting as like these kind of um, higher level routers, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and so site to site allows us to really easily connect to NiFi clusters and have them automatically share information about the topology of the cluster, um, loading on the nodes. Uh, it makes it so your operations teams don't have to pre-coordinate outages. Hey, I'm going to add a node or drop a node. It doesn't matter. Just add it and drop it. Yeah. Um, the site-to-site -site protocol will automatically um, refresh and handshake and learn about each other and then uh, choose a good reasonable path to, um, to keep going. It's all about having high reliability. Yeah. Um, clusters are, are constantly being maintained. Yeah. Um, nodes may have a bad day, right? Like, it seems like systems, particularly in distributed system, uh, distributed, um, you know, computing these days, it seems like systems almost have personalities. Uh, site to site, sort of built to help deal with those personalities that can uh, emerge. Yeah, those, those flaky personalities, they don't want to work on Mondays, all that kind of thing. Yep. And uh, the issue really was. We didn't always have operations teams available to constantly monitor every single node at all times, but we had to have the right uh, kind of business outcome at all times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, really high reliability of communications from uh, cluster to cluster was uh, what site to site was built to solve. Yeah. So you can have both, you know, the, the, the hub and spoke model, but also you can have multiple interconnected hubs as well. That's it, right. It handles all of that. Yeah, that's a perfect way to describe it. Excellent. Um, so you know, g give me a like a specific use case of, of where you know where NiFi really fits and, and how how that would that would that would specifically be working. Yeah, so a, a really common use case um, that we see right now centers around cybersecurity. Yeah, right. The the beginning of the cybersecurity challenge, uh, or really the way a lot of people look at it is, um, I've got all this data I want to analyze and I want to provide really fast insights to tell people what's going on. Yeah. Um, but how that all begins is collection, collecting information, uh, events from every device that you have in your uh, enterprise, right? It, it's all about helping um, or acquiring this event data so that you can give a more complete picture. Yeah. Uh, and NiFi, frankly, was born to, to go after exactly that type of problem, is how can I um, capture these events that are occurring and make them available for additional processing and analysis and uh, ultimately to provide a response to, to business users or... Um, operations teams, decision makers, whatnot, um, and so the it's often talked about as like log collection. Right? Yeah, um, that's a really uh, easy way to think about it: collecting logs. Yeah. Um, in other cases, it's more active than that. It's it's more about um, actually going out and uh, um, acquiring the events from systems that otherwise weren't actually designed to to share them nicely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, uh, in our case, from the NiFi side. You know, cybersecurity is a good use case, but we also want to make sure people understand it's not just about like listening to whatever shows up. It's about uh, or acquiring whatever shows up. It's about actually going out and um, you know interfacing with systems that uh, don't easily share the data. Uh, and you got to keep in mind um, this actually goes to your earlier question about kind of where NiFi runs. Uh, if you look across an enterprise, particularly one doing cybersecurity, they're going to be acquiring uh, information from servers and desktops and laptops and um, you know, basically every device that they have in their switches, routers. You know, these are going to be running uh, in small uh, branch offices and data centers uh, on prem in the cloud. You know, it could be EC2, could be OpenStack, could be Azure, could be you know whatever your provider is that you're uh, comfortable with. Uh, and so it really has to be able to run the gamut. Uh, and cybersecurity is nice because it frankly cuts across um, a lot of industries and a lot of um, you know it's just sort of it exemplifies a lot of the same kind of uh, 
data flow problems you'll see elsewhere. Yeah, I mean the the particular example I, I saw for for the cybersecurity thing was actually the you know the the flow was was really interesting because you had things like. Uh, you know, uh, GOIP enrichment going on within the flow. You actually even had things like the updating of the GOIP database also as a separate component within the overall NiFi architecture. So you're able to schedule things like that within within NiFi itself. Yeah, I mean, it, enrichment's a great example because it, it sounds uh, easy, right? Like it just intuitively, it's like, okay, I just, I've got a piece of data. I need to put more information on it and we're good. Um, but the reality is your knowledge of what you would enrich, right? Like geodatabases, for example, are constantly being updated. There are companies who are specifically, they're in the business of keeping, you know, uh, geographic information about IPs up to yep. date. Um, that's because people want to continually have the best answer. For this IP address at this time, what do we think the location is? Um, and so the data flow can't be stagnant. We can't just get some database dump periodically and call it good. Um, we need to continually refresh that. Um, so NIFI was built to do that. It, it, it's all about not requiring an ops team to continue like uh, every every so many hours, I got to restart the system so it picks up new data. It, it can't do that. It has to be um, constantly evolving live. Yeah. Um, it's not a dev versus production thing. It's a, it's live. It must constantly be giving me the best answer. Yeah. And, and then you've also got things like, um, I guess you might call it micro ETL, where you know maybe you've got data coming in one particular format, and it's not ideal for you know, the target system. So you want to you know do some minor changes to the data while it's in flight. Yeah. So this space, you know, I, I always intentionally talk about it as data flow because there's a lot of terminology out there that means a lot to people. Yeah. ETL is typically very heavily associated with data that starts its life out of a relational database. Yeah. Um, but, you know, generically, extract, transform, load, obviously that applies to a lot of things if you think about it. Um, but I try to avoid it just because it, it has such a heavy meaning to so many people. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, NiFi as a data flow system is really in that same enterprise integration space that we all talked about, you know, a decade or more ago. Um, and the core three categories there are routing, transformation, and mediation, right? Routing is I got to make some decisions about the data. Transformation is things like I need to go from format A to format B or convert schemas or do enrichment. Um, transformation is actually a very broad category. And then mediation is how do I communicate with that system? Is it TCP? Is it uh, HTTP? Is it UDP? Is it uh, you know some other custom kind of proprietary protocol? Whatever the case may be, I have data that I've acquired from some producer uh, and now I need to get it to another system. What's the optimal... Uh, protocol for that system. Yeah. Um, a really great example, you know, people like to think about uh, streaming versus batch, right? Um, you know, and if you think about HDFS as a file system, it's tuned for large uh, files, right? Yeah. Large objects. Yeah. Whereas other systems were tuned for given the events as soon as they occur because I want to be able to start giving you answers quickly. Um, there's really cool open source technologies now, right? Like Spark Streaming is interesting. Um, Flink and uh, there's a whole variety of systems in that space that are really focused on streaming analysis. Um, Storm is in this space as well. Yeah. Um, they don't want to wait, right? They want to be fed quickly. Yeah. Um, and so you could have the same source of data that you now need to deliver to these systems in parallel because there's very good reasons to feed them both. Um, and so what's going to do that for you? It's, the producer shouldn't be saddled with the complexity of understanding all the different intentional design nuances of all the consumers. So those are the kinds of things NiFi does, for example, right? Merge data together so that I can feed HDFS nicely. 
while simultaneously feeding that stream to uh, streaming processing uh, frameworks as well. Cool, cool. Okay, so um, let, let's say that you know you start off with something and uh, you want to start adding some some you know different devices or some different data sources. You know, how would you how would you customize or adapt NiFi to to ingest data from those different environments? Yeah, so it starts with understanding uh, the protocol, right? Understanding the protocol of that uh, system that has data. Um, and one of the really important pieces of this is, you know, when we think about scalable systems, we like the idea of um, uh, be, having queuing semantics, right? You like to be able to go and get the data when you're ready for it, right? Because that's kind of the best scenario. You're yeah, in control yeah. at that point. Um, but with NiFi, we said, look, uh, that's nice. We need to support scalable principles. We need to do things that favor scalability. But the reality is you're not in control, right? It, our job is to connect all these different systems, which people intuitively believe were designed to talk to each other, but in reality really weren't. Yeah. Uh, and so push and pull in terms of how we bring data into the system is supported, as well as push and pull in terms of how we get data out of the system is supported. And so it starts with understanding the protocol. What does that system make available to me? Do I need to pull from it uh, or will it push to me? Yeah. Um, and in both cases, you know, what's... You know, what's the actual underlying protocol I'd use to talk to it? Is it SSH? Is it uh, WebSockets? Whatever the case may be. So, And then it would be a case of putting together a, a custom processor that understands that particular protocol and whether it's push or pull. And, and then, you know, from that point onwards, it's, it's feeding into the data flow. Right. So it's an extension point. You can build new processors to uh, interface with new protocols or formats or schemas or whatnot. Um, in a lot of cases, you don't need to build custom processors because there's, frankly, a, uh, a fairly large amount there. But if you do, um, it's designed to be extensible in a quick and ready way um, that still lets you take advantage of the UI and all the metrics and provenance and security features. Yeah. Um, so actually, you mentioned uh, provenance there. Um, it'd be good to understand, and I realize that this could be an entire podcast all of its own, but um, you know, we've mentioned a number of times number of times while we've been talking security um you know governance and provenance uh, generally what you know what specifically is is so strong about that uh, within nifi yeah so let me focus on provenance as a good example because this is something that a lot of people don't quite um you know realize why it's a big deal yet uh, they see it once data lands in hdfs and they have um you know interesting system or interesting projects like uh, apache atlas for example um, that's giving them lineage about what's happened with the topology or data sets in the cluster. Um, but let's take that cybersecurity example that we had previously. If a threat is detected, right, some analytics running uh, on these streams of data coming in and a threat is observed, right, or some anomalous event is observed, yeah. what becomes really, really important is to understand where the heck that data came from. How did I learn about that anomalous event? Um, and there's a lot of reasons why you might want to do that. A, uh, I would like to kind of understand where do I learn about these things more often, uh, you know, which systems tell me about uh, events of interest and which systems don't, right? So it's the, the root concept of provenance is origin and attribution. And so for every event, every piece of data, we want to understand the origin and attribution of that event. Where did it came from? When did I get it? What all did I do to it? Um, and so th there's three sort of categories that I talk about with provenance when I describe this to people. Um, one of them is that origin and attribution piece. And that's from like an investment, um, you know, valuing your investment decision. Which sources are most critical? Which ones are least critical? Um, but it's also really interesting for compliance, right? 
did I handle the data properly? If I'm uh, in the cybersecurity space, I'm going to be getting information that may have customer data, may have employee data, may have information about my network. Um, it can be, frankly, very sensitive data. And you need to make sure that you're handling it correctly. In many cases, you need to be able to prove you handled it correctly. Yep. Um, and, you know, uh, in the event that you might have given that data or exposed that data to someone or something that you didn't intend to, can you figure out what you actually shared so that you can either take it back, report it properly, whatever the case may be. Um, having that chain of custody, that, that provenance information is key. Yeah, excellent. And of course, loading that provenance information into uh, you know HDFS later on so you can actually you know preserve it for longer. And also that in its own becomes a data source. Yeah, absolutely. It becomes a, a new, very rich and very useful source. Um, we also index it locally to NiFi so that we can provide a nice user experience around uh, troubleshooting and root cause analysis of how the data flows work itself. Yep. Um, but you're absolutely right. The, the real idea there is to make that, a daily, uh, make that provenance information available centrally, frankly, as a new and really valuable data source as well. Absolutely. So uh, is there anything else that you know, people looking at NiFi should be aware of or should be considering when they're, when they're looking at taking this on? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, over the years, people have kind of come to expect systems in this space to have um, you know, really big performance trade-offs. Um, typically, they were built on messaging systems. Yep. Um, and in many cases today, people are still doing things like that. Um, there's really good alternatives or really good um, uh, alternatives in kind of the messaging space for people to choose from. Um, there's a lot of interesting JMS brokers out there. Kafka is one of the, um, the newer and really high-performing uh, messaging systems in that space. Um, with NiFi, what we said is, look, those messaging systems are important. We need to integrate with them. We need to be able to receive data from them and send data to them. But we intentionally went a different path for the actual underpinnings of NiFi itself. Um, and we did that because we wanted to avoid, um, you know, a lot of the remote procedure calls that you'd be making to get data in and out. Yep. We wanted to be able to deal with arbitrarily large data. We wanted to be able to split and combine data um, in many cases without actually having to split anything, but really just making, you know, new pointers. Um, so there's some very interesting uh, performance benefits that you get out of having a system like that helping to facilitate these flows. Um, ultimately, a lot of the data flows end up in systems like HDFS or Kafka, right? If you think of those, if you kind of look at them as, as uh, storage systems. Um, and so uh, there's a lot of collaboration there, but the, the raw performance of NiFi itself is something that's definitely worth looking into and understanding why it's so fast. Okay, so um, final question really is, um, you know, what does the future look like for NiFi? What's the roadmap? Yeah, so um, I've talked a lot about reliability, uh, and that's really been a big sort of cornerstone for us over the last um, eight plus years. Um, but what we're finding is people have come to really expect, um, when they talk about high availability, they expect to be able to lose a node arbitrarily, um, and there's no delay in data delivery, there's no loss. <laughs> Um, and so one of the things that we have in NiFi is when data goes to a node, the data is resident on that node. So we've used uh, things like RAID or you can uh, do things like elastic block storage or other kind of storage mechanisms that yep. cloud providers offer um, to give you the durability. Um, but the data would be delayed if those nodes aren't accessible. Um, and increasingly, that's not something that people want to have, right? They want to make sure that even in the event that they lose a node, that there would only be a very, very tiny delay, right? Um, sub-second or seconds rather yeah. than minutes, right? Uh, and so we're working right now uh, in the community on high availability uh, of the data plane itself. 
um, so that a node can be lost and there's no delay or loss. Um, and we're also changing our clustering model. Um, today, there's a cluster manager, which controls how all the nodes in the cluster behave in terms of, you know, which, um, uh, in terms of making sure that they all act as part of this cohesive whole. Um, and if that cluster manager goes down, the data flow continues functioning. All the nodes keep doing what they were doing, but you can't see the flow during that time. Yep. And people have actually come to the point now where they're like, I always need to see it. Uh, <laughs> and so we're also working on high availability for the control plane as well. Um, and the idea there would be uh, basically at all time, any node could be the, the master. The, it basically eliminates the single point of failure from a control perspective. Yeah. Um, the other big thing I would mention uh, is this concept of multi-tenant authorization. So what we're finding is organizations are really interested in having um, kind of these backbone uh, gateway points where they can have multiple business units, multiple organizations, specialists that have access to different parts of the flow, um, kind of in a separation of concerns perspective. Yeah. Um, so, hey, my, my sales department and my marketing team and my um, uh, you know, HR group can all have data feeding into some um, back-end um, data store. But I don't want them to be able to control or understand what happens after that. There's some compliance checks that we have to do. We do some enrichment uh, that we uh, do to that data. We don't want them to be able to control that, but we want them to have complete self-service over their own feeds otherwise. Yeah. And so that's something that today NIFI has really nice multi-role um, uh, multi authorization, yeah. but it's to the entire flow. So if sure. you have data flow sure. management access, you have it to the whole flow. Yeah. With multi-tenant authorization, We'll be able to carve it up, um, basically however people want. Okay, uh, is the multi-tenancy also sort of designed uh, from a capacity point of view? So as well, so you could say, you know, sales gets you know fifty percent of this, uh, you know, marketing only gets ten percent, and we'll give the rest to engineering. No, so that's actually precisely why I describe it as multi-tenant authorization. Right. Um, when people uh, talk about multi-tenancy, just kind of generically, often what they're referring to is kind of a complete. Uh, resource management perspective. Sure. NIFI is very different from like Storm or other systems where you have a topology and then you know it gets deployed to different parts of the cluster. We're not trying to be in that space, right? We're trying to uh, deliver data to systems like Storm, deliver data to systems like Spark. Yeah. Uh, and so we're taking a very different approach. We don't we don't want to be carving up those resources in that way. We intentionally want a, a shared resource pool. What we need to do now is just make sure we isolate who has access to see things and change things in that flow. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, that's great. I mean, thanks again for all your time, Joe. Very much appreciated. Thank you. And uh, we'll, we'll hopefully catch you again in the future. All right. Take care. Thanks a lot. Cheers. So I hope you enjoyed that interview. Um, once again, I know we mentioned it last time as well, but Joe was a, an absolute pleasure to, to talk with, and uh, I think we'll certainly be inviting him back. Uh, and if you have any questions for him, or indeed questions for us, please just fire them through our contact form, and we'll uh, go ahead and, and pose those questions, see if we can answer them to the best of our abilities. So that winds up this section, and uh, coming after the break, we've got questions from the audience. Stay tuned. Welcome back. 
As usual, in this last section of the podcast, we will be answering some questions received from you, our listeners. If you have a question and you would like us to answer it on the podcast, please do send us an email to podcast at roaringelephant.org, use our Hadoopcast Twitter handle, or go to our website www.roaringelephant.org, where you can find more information about this podcast, including a contact form. So, looking at the list of uh, questions we have today, Dave, I think you had the first one. I do indeed. Um, so this question comes in from somebody, uh, and uh, they, they've already implemented some of their ingest framework in uh, a combination of Flume, Kafka, and, and Storm. Do they need to replace that with NiFi? Well, I mean, no, you don't need to. If, if it's working fine for you, then uh, absolutely you know, carry on using it. Um, but if you think that some of the additional features that NiFi brings are interesting then you know maybe the next data source that you need to bring on or on board um you do that through nifi instead of uh, your existing framework that you've built out uh and, you know for some people the what they've built already is perfectly serviceable they have no issues with it maybe they don't need the additional provenance uh, and traceability um and security that uh, that nifi gives them they're perfectly happy in which case great you know go for it um but if you think that there's some value to having um, you know, a data ingest framework that also gives you, um, you know, if nothing else, that visibility of the framework and that traceability of what's going uh, on within the platform. Then, you know, maybe the next data source you you onboard do that through NiFi. But no, there's no need to uh, just complete do a rip and replace. Yeah, I would give a slight add-on to that, perhaps that. Uh, for people that have NiFi in production already, so you have a couple uh, a flow running in NiFi doing it well, and you still have a simple flume ingest running to the side, killing off that flume, putting it into a NiFi, you could put it on the same server. I mean, one schema can have multiple flows running in parallel. It would kind of alleviate some uh, administration workload, I guess, not having to maintain two products and only maintaining one. So that's the only thing i would say yes you might in that specific case yeah i think i think that's a fair point um but it, it's a case of when once you're once you're comfortable with nifi you can you can transition it over there's no need to do a like a big bang implementation no 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 definitely that's that's true for the whole uh, big data ecosystem right same thing with uh, hadoop yeah. don't put in hadoop and replace everything with it just put it in there do small things let it grow organically and see whatever see where it ends yeah that's right Okay, second question. A listener wants to know, uh, apparently they heard that there is no chance of losing data with NiFi, and they want to make sure if that's true or not. Well, in most, yeah, mostly it is true. Uh, NiFi, through there, because it has a full provenance governance in there, it actually saves a copy or uh, any time the, the data, if the, the, the content of the data packet changes, it, changes a copy, uh, it saves a copy of that in a database. So whenever an event enters a NiFi stream, there's no chance of it getting lost. If the server that's handling that little piece of data actually goes down due to memory errors or whatever may go wrong with hardware these days, that packet will not be available for uh, diagnostics or forensics or anything like that. But the moment you get back, you get the server back up and running, the data is there again as if it was never lost. 
this does, however, mean that contrary to the uh, approach of Hadoop, where you have simple uh, hardware, we have don't have uh, mirrored hard disk because the HFS file system will make sure that your data is safe. On a NiFi server, you still need the more traditional approach of having RAID or mirrored hard disks to make sure that a single hard disk failure doesn't really uh, cause data loss, but that's just standard in uh, original standard uh, infrastructure thinking. Yeah, and the only thing that I would probably add to that is that, um, you know, typically with a Hadoop cluster, you're looking at, you know, hopefully hundreds, uh, maybe maybe thousands of nodes, whereas with an iFi cluster, you're probably still looking at a, a relatively small number of servers. I, I think when we were talking to Joe, he was saying that, you know, some of the, uh, some of the larger clusters that he'd worked with, you know, still had just like tens of nodes rather than the hundreds or thousands. So it was, uh, you know, a, a relatively small knife hour cluster is capable of uh, an incredible amount of throughput. Yeah, I got nothing to add to that. You can just continue to the next question. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so another question that I, uh, this is this isn't one that come, has come in from a listener, but this is one I get a lot when I'm talking to customers about NiFi, is um, customers ask, can they aggregate or combine data as part of the flow process? Um, it, it's not really what NiFi is built to do. Um, I, however, that being said, I can certainly see where you could write a processor that would do that for you if you had some some very simple logic that you you wanted to execute during that. So it's possible. It's just not something um, that, uh, that there are pre-written processes to do uh, right now. Well, there's one thing, though, that when I hear aggregate and combine, it probably means that they need a window of X amount of events of which they want to get, I don't know, let's say an average, something like that. And at this moment, as far as I know at least, uh, NIFA doesn't really have a way of really manipulating a group of events. You can tell the, the, the flow not to go to the next process until you have X amount of events, but then at that point, each event is again handled one at a time. I've not seen yet a processor that can actually uh, capture 10 events and do something where one event is dependent on the other event and things like that. Have you? Yeah. Not yet, not yet. I'm sure it's only a matter of time, but uh, not seen anything quite like that yet. Uh, it kind of depends, right? As long as they keep the vision of NIFA being a data mover, then you want to have a, a quick, every event has to move through as fast as possible. If you want to do more of the window events and maybe have some mini ETL, or micro ETL is the phrase you coined a couple of episodes ago, I think. Indeed, yeah. It's going to make things less pure, I guess. I don't know. But then again, it's an open source project, so whatever the people want is what they will get, I guess. Yep, whatever they develop, um, it's entirely up to them. Whether it gets adopted upstream, however, that's a different question, but we'll see. Okay, final question for today is also another customer question, one I have been asked a couple of times in my uh, customer interactions. And that's, do you need a Hadoop cluster if you want to use an iFi? And the answer, of course, is no. Uh, NiFi is not installed on the Hadoop cluster itself. You have a separate cluster of different kind of hardware, as we mentioned earlier. And since NiFi is moving data, you can just use it on its own to move data from any source to any destination and back again. And one of those destinations or sources can be a Hadoop cluster, but it definitely doesn't have to be. Yeah, I mean, just just quickly scanning through um, some of the NiFi documentation I like, have it, happen to have in front of me, um, you know, things like uh, S3, 
um, flume. Uh, let's see what else do we have here. Azure, uh, Couchbase, HBase, uh, a JMSQ, uh, Kafka, MongoDB, Solar. Uh, let's see what else do we have. Um, I think that might be it. I mean, there's so there's that's just a, a quick outline, but there's any number of different. Um, sources that you can connect NiFi to, of which I've just given an example of a couple. But there, there are plenty of plenty of um, destination platforms that you can squirt use NiFi to squirt data at. Yeah, not to be too contrary, but a few of those examples you gave actually come from the Hadoop ecosystem, of course. I mean, Kafka, Flume, and all they that. That's, uh, they that's do. Contrary to the point. But, well, uh, true enough. But I was thinking HDFS when I think about squirting stuff directly into Hadoop. But you're right. They are still within the, the Hadoop ecosystem. Yeah, fair enough. Also, I think with uh, the still growing Internet of Things, all of these sensor things, uh, there's a lot of protocols out there. And they need a, a moving channel for that as well. And that's definitely a source that has nothing to do with Hadoop. The destination for that data could be Hadoop, but there could be an intermediate hops from the sensor to a collecting site to a central repository and in the end maybe going to Hadoop. So there as well you have different uh, use cases for uh, NiFi. Yeah, and you know we I think we talked uh, on the on the previous uh, episode as well that you can certainly have NiFi feeding NiFi as well. So if you've got um, you know some sort of hub and spoke model where you've got you know regional NiFi clusters um, that that are sort of essentially aggregating data from from their regions um, or aggregating messages from their regions and then firing them through to a you know, a central cluster that's closer to your data lake that's you know you've got uh, some outlying um, sensors or devices out at the edge feeding into your um, into your core environment so you know nifi feeding nifi is also a, a potential use case yeah, definitely, and also it's going to. Be, uh, I think uh, Joe mentioned uh, Minify, the new small footprint uh, NiFi thing they're building. It'll be interesting to see how that changes the landscape. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, at a pinch, I'm guessing that you you'd see min, mini NiFi or MiniFi feeding NiFi, feeding NiFi, feeding <laughs> HDFS. One big long chain of data. It's starting to sound like zombies, so I think we have to put the pin on it and stop. <laughs> yeah, we'll shoot that one in the head. And uh, I think that's it for our questions for the day. Um, so I hope you enjoyed this uh, particular serving of bite-sized big data. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode where we'll be talking finally about SQL on Hadoop, giving you an overview of how it works, what it's used for, and a few tips along the way. Until then, please go to www.roaringelephant.org where you can find out more information um, and send us your questions. Uh, and also, now that we're on iTunes, please give us a five-star re- review on iTunes. It really helps uh, new users discover this podcast and you know broaden our audience. If you don't think we deserve the full five stars, yeah, that's okay too. But in that case, please contact us via the feedback form on our website or email us at podcast at roaringelephant.org with any thoughts, comments, criticisms, concerns and any other feedback. My name is Dave. And my name is Jon. And we look forward to talking to you again in two weeks' time. Take care. Goodbye.